0: How many times have you
1: said, well, when I got married, I just wanted to make him happy. When I got married, I just wanted to make her happy. That was the right attitude because it wasn't about us. A covenant is saying, I'm concerned about you. You did not initiate your covenant with Jesus Christ. God did. And it was his work, not our work, that accomplished that. And so that love that comes forth in a covenant that is not self-seeking But self-sacrificing is so necessary for the marriage to operate. If you don't understand that it's a covenant, it's merely a contract done by the state. And that's why we won't marry two people that are not believers. If one's an unbeliever, one's a believer, we won't marry them. If two are unbelievers, two that are unbelievers, we would marry them. They're equally yoked. Two believers we will marry We won't marry a man with a man, a woman with a woman, a man with a cat or a man with a dog. We won't do those. There's a covenant where the man is expected to be self-sacrificing, and so is the woman. But it squarely falls on the shoulders of the man, because the woman is the weaker vessel, and if your woman is not responding the way you think she should, you have to check your actions. I'm not saying it's the case every time, but most of the time, that when I've done marriage counseling, it's been that, that we, and I'll get into that in a moment. I need to move forward. Marriage is a covenant. I'm going to leave it at that. I want to talk about the sanctity of marriage. The sanctity of marriage must be preserved. Now listen to me. Sanctity, when God sanctifies something, he sets it aside for his purposes. In other words, the vessels that were used in the tabernacle and in the temple were sanctified. They were set apart for his use. Marriage is that way. God has a purpose for our marriages. He has a plan for We're bringing you two together. Let me give you what the Bible says. One, it's companionship. We read that. It is not good for man to be alone. We see it in the Malachi passage. Your wife, your companion. Partnership. I will make him a helper fit for him. There's a partnership where both of you now get to fulfill what God's purposes and intentions were for the marriage. There's a portrait that's involved. In other words, in Ephesians chapter five, it says that our marriage is a picture of Christ's relationship with the church. When somebody looks at your marriage, they need to see the love of God radiating. They need to say, man, those two are Christians. They were having difficulties, but we serve a God of reconciliation, brought them back together, and now they're running on all eight cylinders, and now God is using them in amazing ways. Procreation, the first mandate God gave the new couple, the newlywed couple, was to be fruitful and multiply. I read that in Genesis chapter one. That means to have children. In Malachi, it says, and what does God desire? What was the one God seeking? You see that in verse 15, godly offspring. If you disconnect childbearing from sex, it demeans it. Not saying that we don't have sex for our own needs and That is not the ultimate goal God had in mind. God had in mind for us to sprinkle the world with godly offspring. That's why the political arena is in an upheaval right now. This is why things are upside down. We thought we were going to win a battle to bring righteousness into our country from the political spectrum when we started at the wrong spot. We should have never started at the top. We should have understood that God wants us to have children and then raise them in a godly way. So procreation is so important. And if you disconnect that, if you disconnect that from sex, then all it becomes is an activity to fulfill your desires with no higher goal in mind. Divorce is devastating to God's intention for marriage. It is totally devastating because the children suffer the chances of the children becoming the godly offspring that a Christian couple desires, once they separate, you have no idea what's going on in in their heart. You have no clue. Kids are so quiet. They're more quiet than mob bosses. They won't speak on any, and then all of a sudden when they hit their teens, when their grades start to tank, when they start to seek out friends from outside the church and people that aren't serving the Lord, you have no idea, 70% of violent criminals come from a fatherless home. Divorce is devastating. The companionship that God desired for you and your spouse to share with one another, that intimacy, that friendship, is so beautiful when you come to that point. I didn't know it with Griselle but she's my best friend today. I can speak passionately about something, but until you experience it, you have no clue. But what divorce does is it separates what God brought together. And this is why people will run to Caesar's court for the divorce and not come to the pastor's office. They come to the pastor's office for premarital counseling. They come to the pastor's office to plan the wedding. But then when it comes, all of a sudden I find somebody's divorce. When did that happen? We're into Caesar's court. Because they know what I'm going to tell them. What God brought together. Now, if you're divorced here, I want you to know there's hope. And there's reconciliation, restoration on all of those levels. So I realize the high divorce rate we're dealing with in our culture. But I'm not going to hold back on this. And so we need to understand the companionship that's involved. Now I want to go to the integrity of marriage. The integrity of marriage must be protected. That's why you, know, you see twice there, guard yourselves, he says. Guard yourselves, guard yourselves. There's a saying that goes like this. Your personality is who you are in public. Integrity is who you are in private. In other words, what people can see of you in the public is your personality, but how you behave in private is where integrity comes from. And you have to understand that there's an integrity to marriage that needs to be there. Some don't realize that in the marriage that there is a witness, you're not alone. You're not alone, there is a witness. We see it in this passage of scripture. God is a witness in our marriage. Whatever we do, look at verse 14. It says, because the Lord was witness between you and the wife of your youth to whom you have been faithless, though she is your companion wife by covenant. So we see the Lord as a witness. When we talk about integrity in a marriage and maintaining a righteousness in our marriage relationship, you need to first and foremost know that you're never alone. God sees every Facebook message. God sees every text message. God hears every phone call. God sees every website that's visited. You cannot lighten this, friends. How we interact in our marriage, how we respond to our spouses, God sees every flirtatious conversation at work. That's where most places go south, that most marriages go south, is at the workplace. Because my husband isn't listening to me anymore, my wife isn't listening to me anymore, but you're so compassionate. They leave her or him to go be with her or him and then she or him sues the pants off him I've seen it so many times. God is a witness to our marriages. You need to understand that. He sees how we love our spouses. He sees how we talk to our spouses. He sees what we do with them, how we, our tone of our voice, everything else. Hebrews thirteen four says, let marriage be held in honor among all. You know, in the traditional marriage vows bring that out, that normally in an opening, I'll say that before the sight of God, and before all you as witnesses, because it's honorable among all, and let the marriage bed be undefiled, for God will judge the sexually immoral and adulterous." And Joseph understood the seriousness of this. Here's Joseph in Genesis chapter 39, and he understood the integrity of marriage. He understood what God instituted, even though he was a single man, and even though he wasn't married himself, He was head of Potiphar's household. In Genesis chapter 39, Potiphar exalted him to the number one position. And then when Potiphar was gone and out of town, Potiphar's wife began to work on him began to tempt him, and I want you to hear these words, Genesis 39, verses 7 to 9, because the bigger component is how God is going to move Joseph into a position to where he can save his people during a famine. That's the bigger picture, but there's a smaller picture here that was an important component of the bigger picture, and that's his faithfulness to God under temptation, serious temptation. Genesis 39, verses seven to nine, and after a time his master's wife cast her eyes on Joseph and said, lie with me. But he refused and said to his master's wife, behold, because of me, my master has no concern about anything in the house. And he has put everything that he has in my charge. He is not greater in this house than I am, nor has he kept back anything from me except you, because you are his wife. How then can I do this great wickedness and sin against God? Joseph says, he's never withheld anything in, my, in the house. I have access to his filing cabinet. I have access to the steak in the freezer. I have access to anything that he has of his household except one thing, and that's you because you're his wife. And Joseph didn't respond by saying, you know, I don't want to do this because my career's at stake. I don't want to do this because if Potiphar finds out, he may throw me in jail. I don't want to do this because if I do this, then I'm going to lose my position of power over all. He never took anything into account except how can I do this great wickedness and sin against God. If people would have that wickedness, I don't care what the sitcom says every week that you watch. All it's doing is wearing down your conscience and convictions for marriage when you're sitting there laughing along with the sitcom about how everyone's committing adultery. This guy's wife's sleeping with him or now her and he's got this going on with the secretary and everything else and there's these jokes being made and everything else and all we do is laugh with that. Joseph says, how can I do this sin and this great wickedness against him? He understood the gravity and sanctity of marriage. The world's constantly attacking biblical marriage. And one of the weapons they use against us is the amount of divorces that begin in workplace settings that end up running away from the wife of their youth or the husband of their youth because the grass looks greener on the other side. Our marriage is a witness of God's love. God just isn't a witness of our marriage, but it's a witness of God's love. I'm going to tell you when we divorce, when a Christian divorces, It pulls the punch out of our message to the world. Because our message to the world is that you're a sinner and God loves you, but he does not care about that. He sent his son and he will reconcile you to himself no matter how bad of a sinner you are, including the apostle Paul who was attacking Christianity at the time. Oh yeah, you tell me about a God of reconciliation that can reconcile me to him as bad of a sinner as I am and you couldn't fix your own marriage? Don't talk reconciliation with me. That's their attitude many times. The LGBTQT on on traditional marriage, whenever I'm in a conversation with them and talking to them and this topic inevitably comes up all the time is that they bring up You got too many divorces in your own church. Go take care of your own house before you start meddling with our house. The companion in your wife of covenant, the wife of your youth. Do you know I just read where Jean-Pierre Adams passed away last week? He was a soccer star. And in 1982, the the man was so gifted. And I mean, everyone loved the guy. And in 1982, he goes in for a simple knee surgery. And as he goes into the hospital, the hospital was on strike. So that day, the anesthesiologist had to cover multiple people at the same time. And on a simple knee surgery, something went wrong. He had a heart attack, went into a coma. Listen to this, he was in a coma for 40 years. But you know what the article said? That his wife, when he died, was by his side who cared for him all those years. That's unconditional love. That's covenant love. Whatever excuses we would bring to the table, and all she would say is all I wish is he could say I love you again. All I wish is that he could put his arms around me again. All I wish is he could take me out to dinner again and sit across from She didn't have any of that, but she stuck with him for 40 years to care for him. It's amazing. Let me just say two things when we talk about guarding your marriage, okay? I want to draw two things out of this passage, two words that I think are important. Look at verse 14 again. Though she is your companion and your wife by covenant... Those two words, covenant and companion is what I want to zero in on. If you're gonna guard your marriage, you have to prioritize the marriage covenant. You have to make it a priority. You gotta say that, look, I'm not in this thing for myself. I'm in this thing for my mate. You know, marriage isn't 50-50. Like they say, it's 50% him, 50% her. No, it's 100% both couples. And we never get, to the point of understanding God's self-giving love towards us if we can't act in self-giving love towards our spouses. It'll never happen, it'll never happen. That's why some people, they just don't know because they're just selfish, they're self-consumed, they're self-centered, it's all about me and it's all about this. The passage says, for the man who does not love his wife but divorces her. Love is is the glue for staying in the covenant. I can't tell you how many people say, I fell out of love with her, or I fell out of love with him. That's a lie. That is a lie from the pits of hell, and you should never say I fell out of love with them because love is a decision. And I hear this, that you know I fell out of love with them and God wants me to be happy. That's another lie. God never said he wanted you to be happy. He wants you to be holy. Jesus, out of his love, comes to this earth. The Father sends him. He comes to do the Father's will. He goes lives this life of persecution, being attacked all his life. Then he culminates at the cross. The Romans beat him, beat the snot at him, beat him to a pulp to the point of unrecognizing him that people couldn't even recognize him at times. And he's got the crown of thorns. They put him on a cross. They nail him to a cross. He dies a horrible death. Now, do you think he was happy? But it was love that prevailed. His love for the Father and his love for you is what prevailed. You're buying into the culture's lies when you buy into that. The happiest people I know are holy people. The happiest marriages I know are those who stuck it out and stuck with their partners and things like that. They were glad they did it. You have to prioritize, you have to say, I'm not in a contract. I'm in a covenant, I'm in a covenant that God gave me a gift, the gift of the bride. God gave me a gift. Well, you don't understand her, Pastor Walt. I don't, I'm still trying to understand my own wife. (laughs) And she's easy on me. You know why we're here today, Griselle and I? because she prioritized the marriage covenant. I didn't know the Lord. I was too busy running around putting a needle in my arm three times a day. And when we were separated, she told me these words. I'm not gonna divorce you because it isn't biblical. I can't live this way, but I'm not gonna divorce you. She separated because I made our house not a house of peace and not a house of pleasure, but a living hell. And she didn't leave me, she prayed for me. Not because she was happy during those times, not because life was good and I was blessing her and loving her and everything else, I was so treacherous towards her. She didn't say, God wants me to be happy so I'm leaving him. She was in the pits trying to pay the bills in our own household because I was derelict running around with guys that were in prison and everything else and slamming heroin with them and everything else you can imagine with these guys. That's what I was doing with her. If I could only get back the money that I shot up in my veins and give it to orphans and missions today, it would be a blessing. But she said, I'm in a covenant. I'm in a covenant because she honored that I'm here talking to you today because she honored that. The other thing I want to say, the second thing I would give you in closing would be pursue companionship in your marriage. That's what he says. Look at that. To whom you've been faithless, though she is your companion. He didn't just say, she is the wife of your youth. This goes both ways, by the way. Everything I said today goes both ways. The principles apply. He didn't say your wife by covenant only. He said your companion, your friend. Your friend, have you ever thought... Of your wife is your friend your wife and your husband should be your best friend there's no two ways about it. if you got friends that are greater than them something's wrong something's already wrong in your marriage if you're friendlier with other people don't ever say that your spouse is the enemy the real enemy is the enemy the real enemy is satan the enemy and his entourage, he wants to split the covenant. He wants to destroy the picture that you're building, that portrait that you're painting of your marriage of that shows Christ and his love for the church. He wants to walk in with a knife and slice and dice it. Our spouses are our friends. They're our companions. Proverbs 17:17 17, 17 says, a friend loves at all times and a brother is born for adversity. A friend loves at all times. Notice the passage again. It doesn't say, my youthful-looking wife, because some of your eyes drift when you get older. And it usually comes out when we see you buy a new convertible and you start wearing a toupee and you're dressing like a 20-year-old driving along the beach, cruising the beach. No. We're to
0: grow up together. Thanks for tuning in for Love Live Lead, the broadcast ministry of Christ Community Church in Imperial Valley. Christ Community Church has campuses in El Centro, Calexico, and Brawley, with services in English and in Spanish. Your kids are gonna love our kids' church. Plus, we have a lively youth ministry and young adults group. You're welcome to call the church office at 760-337-9400 with your questions or leave us a message on the Christ Community Church IV mobile app, the ccciv.org website, or direct message us on social media. We are really looking forward to meeting you. So again, the website is www.ccciv.org or call 760-337-9400 so we can plan your visit.